excited to be with y'all this morning to continue on in our series in Philippians. Uh, as we do, um, more often than not, than whether, unless we're in a short series, we go through books of the Bible. And so a few weeks ago, we started this series on Philippians, um, and we're going to continue on in chapter 1 this morning. So I'm going to pick up a little bit in the back half of verse 18, where Peyton left off, and then we'll go through uh, verse 26. And so I'm going to read our passage uh, for us today, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll, then we'll dive in. So uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1, uh, back half of 18 through 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word, uh, dive into Philippians, uh, the story that you're unfolding through our series here. Uh, Lord, I pray as we gather together, as we hear, uh, as we worship, uh, that this would be a time that brings glory and honor to you, um, that there are things that are helpful to do that, that they would stick. If there's anything that's not, that that would fall away in our time. Uh, and just sustain us through this, as Michael said in, in opening, that regardless of how we find ourselves here today, whether it's with great expectation, excitement, whether it's out of duty, whether it's uh, just because we're here uh, and we're not sure why, uh, as our brain is clouded with so many other things that are on our agenda and schedule, Lord, I just pray that in this space um, that we'd be able to make much of you, that you'd be able to um, be present and be glorified uh, in, our, in our communal gathering here this morning. In your name, amen. Uh, so what I want to do this morning, not unlike what we do often, but maybe a little bit more uh, just <laughs> going down the line, is I really just want us to walk through these verses, offer some reflections, um, be able to dive into them, because uh, I think there's a lot here that has a lot for us in what does it look like in living out our faith. And so I really, really actually just want to go really basically just go straight through here, um, beginning right away um, with this proclamation. I want to say first is that as we began off this series, I really appreciated and enjoyed my uh, southern tendencies of y'all being pointed out and called out, because this is present throughout the entirety of Philippians. I had a professor once that said, if you actually want an accurate translation throughout much of Paul's writings, it should be y'all. And it should just be, you've got to be able to do that. And similarly to y'all, uh, we will, I want y'all to also keep track of and count uh, recognitions of rejoice and this call to rejoice. It is going to be constant as we go throughout this book. And right here, not only did it wrap up where we were last week um, in the first part of verse 18, but he comes back to it again right away before this verse goes that, yes, I will rejoice. 
I think one of the things that is important here, and we'll see this throughout each of these verses that we look through, is why we go through books of the Bible, and as why Kevin keeps bringing us back to this Bible being one large whole story. And that's because we're always pointing back and speaking back and speaking ahead and looking ahead. These things are interconnected. And so Paul is not bringing this idea of rejoice out of a vacuum. Um, There's things that he's reflecting in their own. There's things that he has experienced. Uh, which is why it was so important that when we started this series, we looked at the Acts, at how the church in Philippi was born, and his imprisonment, and all that came out of that. And so when we see things like this, that yes, and I will rejoice, whether it's in the Psalms, whether it's in the New Testament, whether it's alluded to throughout other areas of Scripture, I think sometimes we have this tendency in our culture that we think rejoice has to mean that everything is good and we're in a happy place. We have this tendency to think, like, I, I don't know if I actually feel like rejoicing. I don't know if every I is dotted and T is crossed in life that should bring out rejoicing, which is why it's so important that here, in reflecting it as imprisonment, in reflecting on what God has done through his trials, reflecting on what God has done through the birth of this church, reflecting on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Paul is saying that, yes, and I will rejoice. It's not, yes, and I will rejoice once everything is perfect. It's not, yes, and I will rejoice once, you know, whatever that what is. It is, again, yes, I will rejoice. And so as we think about Paul's, what he has been through up to this point, what he's looking ahead to, and not even just in this immediate of the birth of the church of Philippi and his imprisonment, Paul, in the back of his head, has to have his conversion still so deep in him that has led him on to this route, on this journey, on this life that has. And so he has seen God sustain him. He has seen Jesus sustain him. He has seen Jesus continue to show up for him when there is nothing else to lean on whatsoever. In the worst of times and the best of times. And so there's this invitation here that rejoice isn't just about when things are okay. Rejoice isn't about just when things are joyful. There's a sense here that rejoice is even this invitation to defiance in the way that the world is right now. That there's this opportunity here, that there's this invitation from Paul, that there's this declaration that when we are going through life, at the heart of the Christian faith is this rejoicing because we have something that is this thread of sustainability through it all regardless of what's coming on with us. And so, depending where that finds you, because there's times when I see scriptures called to rejoice that I'm like, yes! And there's times that I see scriptures called to rejoice, and especially with Paul, and I'm like, Paul, you're literally the most obnoxious person in the world right now. I have no desire for this. Uh, And despite what you might think of, and depending on your church history, it is okay to be annoyed with the authors of scripture. It is not a sin. (laughs) Um, Because sometimes they're annoyed with each other, too. Uh, And so, like, that is driving at something, though. What is it that's annoying about me? And so I just want to kick off there to center on this declaration as we begin that, yes, and I will rejoice that as we go through the Christian life, as we go through life and everything that it brings, we have this invitation to rejoice, um, as we'll look at more later, in the sustainability and longevity and the sameness and the continuation of the story of the gospel. So, yes, I will rejoice Paul continues on for, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What we should see so clearly and what we should have seen already so clearly is that Paul is so convinced in the story of Jesus Christ. He is so convinced in it. It is unwavering. It is constant. It is consistent. He knows 
that regardless, as we'll see here in a little bit, whatever this deliverance is, whatever it looks like, that it is rooted in Jesus. Whatever the future holds, that he knows he can be confident in that. And all the other confidence comes from that rooting in Christ. And what I love about this is this idea of that, for I know, it's not only just that I know, obviously it's primarily rooted in the confidence in Jesus Christ, but through that, the church that's been built up and the witness of the brothers and sisters of the faith that he is confident that are praying for him. And so this idea here, you can almost hear the just confidence and straightforwardness and boldness as Paul writes this, this for I know. And as I keep coming back to this over the last couple of weeks, I, I ask myself, I'm also going to ask you, but I want to make sure that you really clearly know that I'm not just piling this on you because I'm asking myself that as I read this, I wanted to know, do I share Paul's confidence in the witness of the body believers and the truth of Jesus? Do I share that? Now, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to hear that, that word of confidence. I'm not talking about a perfect faith. I'm not talking about uh, I never have struggles or I never have doubt, but that confidence that as I go through this journey, as we corporately go through this journey, that I know that the body of believers are praying, that I know that the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. What a gift that is to Paul and the church as they go through whatever it is they're going through. To know that each and every day in and day out that we as a body of believers are praying for one another, standing with one another, rejoicing with one another, lamenting with one another, that we are present with one another. And the way that that, obviously primarily rooted in Jesus, but the way that that that, um, fans the flames of that gospel, the way that that keeps that alive in him, the way that that is able to create that boldness for him that not only is he confident in Jesus, but the body of believers around him are encouraging him and sustaining him in that and sustaining the church in that. What a gift that we get called into as a body of believers, that through our prayers, through our reminding of the gospel, that we are able to strengthen one another, that we're able to point each other towards whatever is ahead, knowing that Jesus is going to be present in it and that Jesus will be there through it. So that for I know, for I know that idea of Paul's confidence in the witness of the body of believers and the truth of Jesus. Paul continues on, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. We see this continued theme of that regardless of circumstances, the hope of Christ to be honored, now as always, now as always, whether that's in imprisonment, whether that's in freedom, whatever that looks like, that we seek to honor Christ with how we are posturing ourselves, how we are present, and that idea of eager expectation, that we long for that, that we hope for that, that we expect that. Uh, that we are not ashamed in it, that we recognize all of you. I, I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories. Y'all know some of my story, not all my story, but we have these moments of being met by the inbreaking of Christ in our life. We have these moments of deliverance. We have these moments of recognizing that things are not as they were because of the way Jesus and the Holy Spirit has worked through us. And so it's really easy when we have these really high moments of these, wow, let's be confident in that. Let's do that. But this invitation here is now as always, that we have that expectation, that we have that hope, that we are not ashamed, that we are full of courage as always, 
and the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, that we are reminded about that, that we preach the gospel to one another, that we stand firm in that, that regardless of our circumstances, that the hope of Christ is honored in our life. And one of the things that I want to say about this really clearly is this isn't a passive invitation. (laughs) This isn't just, uh, regardless of what's going on in your life, um, within that, and I want to be careful how I say this because I want to make sure you're hearing what, what I'm intending to say, is unfortunately sometimes throughout the church's history, we can be like, well, God's using this, so you don't need to actually get yourself out of this awful situation. <laughs> um, there's an invitation here in Christ honoring as a body of believers to advocate for this Christian life, to be able to speak into it, to be able to say, actually, this is a really unhealthy situation that God is going to work through and his president is working through, but God's glory here is not, uh, you, you got to stick this out because God's working through it. And so to stop beating around the bush here and just be really blunt with this, when things like this, when God's working through all situations are used to keep people in domestic violence, when situations like this are used to keep you in other abusive scenarios, this is not an invitation to say, okay, but God is going to be glorified, so I'm just going to take one more hit. Or I'm going to take one more time that my kid is getting hit. Or I'm going to take one more other area of abuse here. And so I want to be very clear when I say that God is present in all circumstances and God is working through all circumstances. I absolutely believe that. And I absolutely know that happens, but that's also not an invitation for you to be a passive recipient of abuse because somehow God's going to be made known through that. Just want to be really clear with that right now because I've had too many friends and colleagues that have been stuck in that cycle and have been told that throughout their lives. And so that isn't that God doesn't work things all together for God's good. I believe that, I affirm that. That isn't that God isn't present in all situations. But that doesn't mean we aren't, because of this honoring to the Christ's word, because of honoring Christ's life, because of honoring the gospel, that doesn't mean that we don't advocate for ourselves out of that hope, out of that sustainability. And sometimes that is going to cause you to leave really hard things within that. Okay? And God is going to continue to sustain you and be present within that. And so regardless of circumstances, the hope of Christ is to be honored. And I really believe that to be honored means how we are present in those situations as well. That also means not only how you're present in the situations that you're experiencing, but how you're present in the situations that your brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing as well, and that we're experiencing throughout the world. And so we recognize that Christ is at work, and Christ is in present, and we continue on through that confidence that Christ is going to see us through, but we are also active in our response to that. We're not creating God's goodness. We're not creating. We're not earning anything. But that life is going to propel us out to speak truth, to be able to live in a way that is honoring to that. And so Paul is continuing to communicate this eager expectation and hope as he reflects on what has been as he looks ahead to what is. This is kind of the ultimate uh, verse of this whole selection. It's one that we pick out a lot, that you hear a lot. Uh, Paul continues on in this vein to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And similar to this notion of rejoice, it's again important why we read all of Scripture and we look at the story and why we preach through the whole book. Because again, Paul is here reflecting on everything that has been. This isn't just out of a vacuum of like, yep, okay, it's about Christ, it's not about me. Paul has really recognized 
the role of imprisonment, the role of possible death on his life, the role of the fact that he will die eventually, depending how it happens, um, that this idea of recognizing the role that Christ has played on his life, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And again, we hear in each of these verses soaked in the certainty of Jesus that Paul has. And that certainty can't help but change everything. That certainty that we have with Christ, as we see Paul continue on in these verses here throughout what we've read and what we will read, it is soaked with certainty in who Jesus is. Jesus changes everything in how we are present in everything. doesn't just change everything, it also changes how we are present in everything. When we hear Paul here say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, we realize that life is not just some meaningless thing that we're here for. That our faith, that our Christian faith, that the call of Jesus gives something there. It, it adds something. We're not just here wandering around hopeless. And not only is life not meaningless, but death is not the end. Life is not just meaningless, but death is not the end. And we really struggle with that in our culture. <laughs> we really struggle with that in our culture. We want to live life to the fullest, but unfortunately in our consumeristic, individual world, life to the fullest also often means life the best way that we can imagine it. Life the best way our society can imagine it, with the best of things, um, whether that is uh, finances, money, um, whether that is uh, the things that we choose to surround ourselves with, the things that we choose to spend our time on. It's about making the best of this moment right now as it is fleeting away. It's not often with eternity in mind as well. And that's a really big tension that we have to struggle with, and we're going to see Paul continue on here with. But I just, we, we make so much of things that really don't matter <laughs> in the end. I think this was used as a sermon example several years ago, um, not by me, about me. <laughs> uh, I, for, uh, though it has definitely changed in how I approach it because of this experience, for those who know, I'm a really big fan of the Chicago Cubs, um, and I really like baseball, and every time it sounds like there isn't going to be a season until April or May or June, I get really sad, because <laughs> uh, baseball is, I think, a beautiful gift uh, to us, but limited. Uh, for those who know your history and love um, the way that things get mocked in American culture, the Cubs went an astounding, like, 108 years without winning a World Series. Uh, they were the lovable losers, the most ridiculous things that would happen to them that would keep them out of the playoffs, like things you can't even make up. Um, like you're in first place by so many games and a black cat runs across the field and you go on an 11-game losing streak and don't make the playoffs. Like how do you make that stuff up? It's ridiculous, right? Anyway, we're going we're gonna to table that here. But the reality is in 2016, they did it finally, right? And though there's part of me that believes that the world was supposed to end there and them winning opened up some continuum that now has brought on a pandemic and so many other things, not 100% sure about this, but we're checking the math. Um, it was on the internet, so it's true, right? Uh, so it happened, and there's this amazing video that has been documented of me like falling to the ground in celebration when it finally happened. I wake Brennan up. He'd fallen asleep on the couch. It's the greatest thing ever. I get pulled over on the way home because I'm like so excited, and the cop just lets me go because I'm in Cubs gear, and he knows what happens, um, right? And so it was amazing, right? And the next morning, the first article I saw was, can the Cubs do it again? It, it was done. It was over. And don't get me wrong, it was fun and it was beautiful. There were stories of fathers and sons who hadn't talked to each other in decades calling each other for the first time. There was people going and visiting grave sites of their loved ones. There was a lot of cool stuff that happened, but it was over. 
It was done. It was all about next year. And to be honest, the next, like, four seasons were brutal. <laughs> like, they were not fun. They were not enjoyable at all, right? And so there was this limited, like, everything that you put so much hope in for a year. Everything that you had done was gone. And this is a really silly example of it, but I think it's how we approach so much of life. We put so much into something that really doesn't matter. That doesn't mean we can't have fun with it. That doesn't mean that there aren't things to enjoy about it, but it can't be it. It cannot be it. And so when Paul is here talking about that, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul has had all these experiences, all these experiences with God, and not just him and his personal experience, actually seeing the body of believers come together and worship and seeing that impact because our Christian faith isn't done in a vacuum. We are encouraged and uplifted by the work of God in other people's lives and in the life of the church. And so Paul continuously seeing this and seeing how much better it is can make these declarative statements for me to live as Christ and to die as gain because he recognizes that everything else is going to go away. And he continues on in the next verse to flesh that out a little bit more when he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Our faith in Jesus roots us in how we are present in this world for the time that we are, because it's a limited time. And so our faith in Jesus completely alters how we see those things. And Paul understands this um, in this dynamic here, that this tension, this idea that there's going to be fruitful labor if I'm here. There is going to be fruitful labor if I'm here, but this is better. There's a tension here, and I really believe no matter how complicated it is and how much our world doesn't like keeping us in this tension, and even how much the church sometimes doesn't like us keeping in this tension, that keeping in this tension invites us to keep us from complacency. Because we recognize we're here for the time that we're here. We're going to do with it. And we also know that when we're not here, there's actually something better that awaits. Which is, I know is so hard to understand. And I know it's so hard to understand depending on how life ends in this world. There's life that ends in tragedy. There's life that ends in fullness of life. There's life that ends way too early from how we understand time. But Paul continuously is convinced that Jesus is better and wants us to know that. And so to live in that tension, a tension that we're not really good at living at because we often focus on one thing so far, so so much. There's a, I kind of want to like the fathers of the Christian rock movement uh, had this whole notion of like, we're just visiting here, right? There's this idea like we're just visiting and it's true, we are. But what happens sometimes that we do, especially in our consumeristic, individualistic society is we realize then, oh, the world here doesn't matter because we're just visiting here. And so we don't care as much about the world here, and we don't take care of it, or we don't take care of one another, or we don't set up a better future for those who are still going to be here, things like that, right? We're like, that gets us out. Now, I don't actually believe that that's what that individual meant when he sang that or when he did that, but we always love to do things with things, right, <laughs> that, that make them feed us. And so we don't think we have to care about the environment. We don't think we have to care about all these other things because it's fine. We're just visiting here. But on the flip side of that, we become so obsessed with fixing everything on, under our own power, we don't realize, like, there's something much better. There is a promise that is much more 
that there's a hope that's much more than anything in our limited things. And so there's this tension, and it's a frustrating tension. It is a frustrating tension to live in, so I understand why we always don't want to, but I believe this tension keeps us from complacency. The dynamic of just visiting this world and being sent out to the very same world that is not our home, how we engage this dynamic has implications. We talk about it weekly with some friends. It's like, I know Jesus has the power to go ahead and come in and fix this. And I know Jesus knew that when he still sent out his disciples to declare his name throughout the world. There's a tension there. There's a tension when we're praying for healing. There's a tension when we're praying for so many other things. Like, Jesus, please. And Jesus still sends out his disciples to declare his name and pray over the sick and preach the gospel. It's a frustrating tension, but it's a tension that we call into. And it's a tension that keeps us accountable when we want to go way over here or when we want to go way over here. And so there's this invitation to live into that, to be able to declare that. And it's going to alter how we view the things of our world. And continuing on, Paul, again, is convinced. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in you you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again. Paul understands through his faith in Christ that if he is to stay here, then he is to make much of Jesus. And if he is not to stay here, he gets to be with Jesus. The freedom that that allows Paul to boldly go into the world, to be able to declare that, to be able, I'm so thankful for what God has given me here, and I'm so thankful for what God has promised for there. And our very binary thinking of the world, that just doesn't always make sense. One of the things that I often find that we do when loved ones pass away is we, we comfort with they're in a better place. And that's true, but I, I was reminded recently in a conversation with a friend, but do I want to go to that better place? I'm like, I don't know if I do, because I really like my kids. <laughs> I really like my family, and I really like things. I want to see things. I want to do things. I want to be able to experience things. And there's just something here about, like, that really, like, for the time that God has us here, it's a gift. And there's an invitation to make much of Jesus in that way. But to know that whatever that looks like then, for ahead, there's glory waiting as well. And I know I'm not, I'm not trying to explain this in a way that you walk away being like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm totally fine now. I just, like, that is a crazy thing to think about and sit with that tension, that dynamic, that our faith in Jesus roots us and how we're present in this world for the time that we're here. And we have to understand that that time is just for that time. And we make much of Jesus in it. And we await the opportunity to be with Jesus. One of the things that we do here often as we come to the end is this, you know, notion of gospel application. Not necessarily what we need to do, but remembering what Jesus has done for us. And this confidence that, that Paul has put forward through these verses in Philippians, this rootedness in Jesus, the way that this propels us in our life, the way that this frees us uh, from so many things, uh, though right when we leave this room, and maybe even in this room, there's going to be, we want to get trapped again. <laughs> so we need to come back together and be reminded of this again, but we want to we be able to hear things that propel us out, not in a weight, but propel us out in a freedom, that invite us into this work. And just as Paul started Philippians, I want us to hear this notion of rejoice. These first two things maybe are a little cheating because they are kind of things I'm inviting you to do, but not out of yourself, out of what's been done 
for you, right? So this notion of rejoice, to rejoice for what God has done, for who God is, and for what is ahead. Because what we continuously see in Scripture is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It is the one thing that is going to stay the same. Nothing else is going to stay the same. It is the one thing to stay the same. And this, again, might be one last silly example, but a lot of my personal and academic time, and my academic time, because I enjoy it personally, is spent in fandom spaces and in fan spaces of whether it's TV shows or movies or things like that, not just to enjoy it, but to actually understand groupings of people that are fans. And what does it say? What are they longing for? What are they looking for? Why is it so much easier for me to do a Netflix, Netflix marathon of Star Trek than it is to go to the scripture? Like, what is it about that? Which in itself isn't a bad thing, but if that becomes the thing. So what happens so much, and what you continuously see in these spaces that I absolutely love and adore, is the reality is, is the show's going to end. show can't go forever. There's a few shows that are really pushing that right now, but they can't. Like, you can't actually go forever, um, right? And characters are going to die. Um, people are going to leave. There is going to be a plot line you don't like. And I, I watch this just divide these communities with, like, not just divide, like, personal preference. I'm talking, like, hatred. I'm talking, like, death threats. I'm talking, like, just, like, crazy, crazy stuff, right? Those things are going to change. It's going to be different. Whatever hope and joy you find in it isn't going to last forever. It just isn't. That doesn't mean that you can't enjoy it and go have fun, but it isn't. But with this invitation here that we have in the gospel is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In a world that is so uncertain, in a world that is so chaotic, we need to rejoice in that. We get to rejoice in that when things are good. We get to rejoice in it when it's like, I don't even want to come here today. <laughs> we get to rejoice in it and everything in between. And so to rejoice, to rejoice, and to have others rejoice with you. And if you can't rejoice, go surround yourself with others to hear that news from. It's awkward and it's weird, but it's helpful. And with rejoice, testify. When things are good, when things are bad, remember God's presence in your story. That's one of the, one of such a key thing that we have when we go through the story of scripture is we are continuously reminded of God's story. We're continuously reminded of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do. So to hear that over and over again, I think Kevin and I both have said this a lot, and I talk about my friend who really, really feels like his whole entire call to ministry is simply just the ministry of reminding He'll say, like, I literally have nothing else to do in my last years of ministry except to remind people. <laughs> we need that. We forget. We have a lot of things competing for this world, for, our, for, our, for where we put our confidence. And so to testify to what you've experienced, testify to God's goodness, testify to God's sustaining, and hear that testimony from others if you have no words that can come off your lip. Go into the scriptures and see that testimony through the people that God has told his story through. And then lastly, I love this phrase that's been the buzz on the internet. It's not original to him at all, but I was so struck this last week, this notion of that death is not defeat, right? So um, depending how much time you spend in, in that world or if you watch TV at all, um, the late night show host Stephen Colbert was recently asked a question by one of his guests about how does he see the intersection of his faith and his comedy, and I'm not going to read the whole quote because I'm not going to do it justice. I would encourage you to go look it up and watch him, watch him speak freely about it. 
But he had this line in there. Again, this is as old as the faith itself. It's not original to him, but like this idea that death is not defeat. And the way that that resonates, I was so struck uh, when I went online and from one of the most progressive pastors in my world to one of the most conservative pastors that um, in my world, not personally, but just in the world that I, I'm around, uh, we're all sharing this, this footage of Colbert talking. And the way that it just united <laughs> a very fractured faith in so many ways that this promise of recognizing that death is not defeat. And we don't like that in our culture. <laughs> like, we don't, what do you mean it's not defeat? Like, we haven't accomplished X, Y, or Z. But what allows you to get going, and what Colbert said, then what allows me to be able to find comedy in so much of what's going on is I know that death is not defeat. I have to hold on to that because how do we face <laughs> everything else that's going on? And what a gift here that we see in Philippians and Paul continuously to testifying to that. And I love that this selection of scripture lined up with that footage and that answer because that's what we see here. We see that death's not defeat and to see the clamoring for that message, to see the way that that message had resonance, to recognize that death is not the end. Life is not meaningless. Jesus will see us through. Jesus is present in all of this. So we rejoice, we testify, and we cling to, not just cling, but we live out of this promise that death is not defeat.